Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. School is back in session. At least the holidays have ended and children who are at home are expected to pick up their learning where they left off. The problem is we're still in the same place we were last term. Many parents are juggling work and teaching their kids from home, and it's not easy. Alan Duggan is the Global Head of Education for 3P Learning. They're the ones behind the online programs Mathletics and Reading X. Chances are you've used them or your children have used them at school. He's got some ideas on how we can all manage this next school term. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Siobhan? Good, thank you. Now, you have young children as well, is that right? Yeah, I do. I've got three kids. My oldest is 12. I have to get this right, otherwise they'll never forgive me. <laughs> my oldest is 12, my youngest is 9, but soon to be 10. And my, um, sorry, that was my middle, and my youngest is 6. Okay, so you are um, juggling three very different schooling ages. Um, look, I think the biggest challenge parents face at the moment is that most of us are not trained teachers. What do you see our role being during this time when we're in lockdown and managing their education? So I think the first thing I would say is that your role is to be their parent. And that might be a really obvious statement, but your role is to be their parent. And I think the biggest challenge that we see and we hear from from teachers around the world that we have, have spoken to and from parents is that question of what does it look like for me to be a parent at home while my child is being homeschooled? And I think that the answer to that is that you are still their advocate. You're still the one that supports them. You're still the one that encourages them. And you're still the one that that holds them to account in the things that they are trying to do. And what I mean by that is really um, you're not there to be the educator. That's what the teacher does and that's the work that they provide. And you also are not there to enforce school rules. And and I'm making probably some very obvious statements, but there's some some research actually just came out in in the last um, couple of weeks from John Hattie down in Melbourne, who's a really well-known education researcher. And he talks about the fact that as soon as parents become the authoritarian figure in homeschool setting and the, the kind of remote learning, the the efficacy of the learning and teaching goes out the window. And we can all identify with that. The times where we have, you know, before the holidays, I can think of the last week of term with our middle son, who is, is very fiery, and he had a task, a writing task to do. And it just became combative. You know, we had three days of hard work trying to get this kid to do what really should have been a 40-minute writing task in class. So really realizing that it's going to be different it's going to be challenging but but remember that we're parents not teachers and and that that's key and important yeah i was going to say because when i've tried to be involved with my kids and in what they're doing there is definitely more pushback than they're ever going to give their teachers let's hope that there's more kickback from them at home than there is in the classroom yes yes Teachers are still trying to teach their classes. And as you mentioned, you've heard from teachers all around the world about how they're coping with this new arrangement. What are the main challenges for them? So the teachers that we speak to probably have 
one big concern that, that kind of summarises everything that they are thinking, and that's about how do we engage children in their learning? How do we keep them engaged and motivated in what it is they're trying to do? And I think it varies from year group to year group, subject to subject, how easy or difficult it is to engage them. But I think if we think firstly about those younger children, those, those kind of kindergarten year one students, the best way to engage them, the best way to keep them focused on what's going on is around reading and around storytelling. And there's a whole host of resources out there that will help them to engage with reading, whether that be free resources that have audiobooks read to them, whether that be books that they can read along with, whether that be as simple as uh, setting aside some time at some point in the day to read to your young person. I think that's really, really critical. And so teachers are talking about how they engage them. And simple things that we might have done in the past work really well as well. Board games. if, If we focus in and talk about those younger students for a second, you think about the first few years of school, kindergarten, year one, year two, the vast majority of what's going on in schools at that point in time is not actually focused on the academics. It's not focused on a whole host of sitting at the desk and working. It's focused on social constructs. It's focusing on being a good friend, you know, being a good member of the community, things like that. So when we take away that, which is taken away just now, and they're at home, really what we're left with is not a huge amount of time focused on sitting there learning. So we should be looking for ways as parents just to engage them in fun activities that they learn. So so think about things that are going on in the house that you're doing, particularly for parents who are struggling to juggle the demands of working from home as well as having their parent there. Uh, their kid there, sorry. Think about things that you can do to engage them, whether that be simple board games, whether that be helping out with, with chores and putting a bit of a spin on that, you know, getting them to help you peg out the washing, for example, but put it in colour order or in size order. Just, just little things like that actually can help to free parents up. And I think as well, the flexibility of remote, distant learning and teaching should be something that parents feel really comfortable with. Don't feel like your young person has to sit there from nine to three and be at the dining room table or or wherever it is that you have them working and that they get 15 minutes for recess in the morning and 40 minutes for lunch (laughs) because that just doesn't work. It, It creates that combative space again. Make it work. Be flexible about it. You know, just before the holidays or I think the first week of of uh, the kids at home for us, we, we just had a really bad couple of days. And I think it was the the third day or the fourth day. My wife was working, I was working. We were both trying to do um, conference calls. We had three kids. You, you can imagine what it was like. Mm-hmm. And, and we just got to the point where we said the only way that we can cope right now is to put them in front of a TV and put a movie on and call that bad parenting. I'm happy to put my hand up and go, we just couldn't, we couldn't do anything else. We put them in front of a movie my wife did her conference calls, I did mine, and I came off of it and I felt really guilty. He was this global head of education <laughs> who can't even get his own kids to do schoolwork. And I kind of walked away from it and, and the, the atmosphere in the house was much calmer. Um, everything just felt a little bit more normal. And as I'm kind of watching the end of the movie with the kids, I thought, okay, how can I use this? And I, quite simply, I got my kindy daughter to draw a picture of her favourite character and tell us over dinner why it was her favourite character. I got my middle son to write a description of his favourite character and the others at the table had to guess who it was. And we got our oldest year seven son to write a, a little bit of a good versus evil 
kind of discussion from it. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that we get that right all the time, but, but just think about little things like that where you can potentially extend it, you know, get your younger kids to, to draw pictures of things that they've enjoyed or things that they're thinking about. And I think, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of extending this on, but I think one of the challenges that we know is that we are worried about young people's well-being in this journey. And so I think as, as we think about things like watching movies, there's an escapism there that's helpful, but it's also a place where they can express their emotions in, in drawing afterwards and, and in communicating with us. So I think it's just really important to look for ways to engage them in learning that isn't necessarily about paper and pencil. I love that you said that because I think the thing that terrifies me the most is the idea of keeping up with the curriculum and Mm. what the teachers are sending Mm. home. I've spoken to people before who do homeschooling, both the educators Mm. who set it up and those parents who choose to do it from home. And and none of us who are forced into this situation have chosen to homeschool. Mm. So I know that's a different, completely different kettle of fish. But one of the things they did talk to me about was following your child's passion and exploring learning that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems that you're kind of tapping into that. Would you agree that, um, so someone made the example to me that their son loves Pokemon, so they started working out how to do simple maths with the Pokemon cards or pursuing, it might seem on face value to be something really base level <laughs> entertainment. So my son loves Beyblades and I'm utterly, utterly sick of them right now, but he's, he's obsessed. So should we then be looking at the things that they love the most and going, oh, okay, so maybe we can, like you say, draw pictures, tell a story, but focus more on what it is they love than turning back to the curriculum-based structure of education that they might be used to when they go to school? Absolutely, particularly for those in the younger years. And I think just to go back to your your point right at the start of that comment there, um, where you said that you're worried about keeping up with the curriculum and keeping on top of the work. It's one of the things that teachers tell us that they are worried about as well from the other side is meeting or managing parental expectations in terms of the amount of work that is provided. And so I think that there's um, both parents and teachers have the same fear coming from a different angle. And actually, you know, teachers giving lots of work feed the parents fear of um, oh I have to keep up with the curriculum but teachers don't actually want to be giving lots of work they just feel like parents want it and so we go around in this this loop that creates this angst for both sides and I think when we think about younger children the reality is that what's important here is that we grow a love of learning if you think about the first few years of of education, what do we want? We want to build, and it sounds like I'm just dropping buzzwords, but we want to build lifelong learners, learners who are passionate about learning, who spark a curiosity. So if it's Pokemon cards, if it's Beyblades, if it's ponies or, or dolls, as it is in my house with my daughter, find a way to spark their curiosity, to spark their learning. The best learning, historically, it comes from curiosity, comes from a need. So it's absolutely in the right space to do it. I've got a friend who I'm watching play Pokemon or telling me about playing Pokemon cards with his son in terms of developing his numeracy skills and he's in year three. You know, absolutely. Even playing Beyblades, if, if there's <laughs> siblings in the house, is all about learning that social construct as well. You know, sharing, taking turns. All right, they're That's not doing that very well, Alan, I'm just going to say. <laughs> there's a lot of yelling that goes on. Well, 
Is that the parents because of the noise that comes from those stadiums? Because I know that I feel your pain. <laughs> no, uh, my son's kind of transformed into some weird death metal child who yells at them every time he lets it rip, so he says. So you're saying, um, you mentioned earlier that playing board games and things like that is a good idea. Um, mm. And just going back to that idea you, you mentioned about socialising, because I know um, one of the things that I was looking forward to for my son this year in kindy was that idea of um, developing friendships, which mm. which I accept can take longer than kindy. It doesn't mm. necessarily happen straight away. But those children who started kindy this year didn't even get through um, effectively a term, you know, so they've, they've, it feels like that socialization process has really been disrupted. Yeah. Um, do you think that's something that parents need to be worried about or is it introducing things like board games at home? Is that a bridge across even if perhaps they're the only child that is playing and they're playing with adults? Is, is that okay? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think, I think what we, we, we can't allow ourselves to get into a place of fear. The reality is that we find ourselves where we find ourselves and the restrictions that are placed upon us are placed upon everyone. So whilst we might have some apprehensions about the social development of our kids, there's nothing that we can do to get them out socialising with other kids in terms of a school environment at the moment until we see the restrictions change. So for me, I look at my kindy daughter and I, I think she has been learning, like you say, she, got, she didn't even get eight full weeks um, at kindergarten. She didn't get to know the routines, let alone know her friends' names before this kind of happened. But the reality is that young people, kindergarten, year one, year two, are still going to continue to socially develop while they're at home. So looking at ways to play with them, to interact with them at home, to play board games, to, to play dominoes, even jigsaw puzzles, things like that. And I think one thing that we run the risk of doing with our kids when we're stuck at home with them is, is giving in to them. And I think sometimes we give in to them because it, it, it's... Um, it's your sanity that needs to go, yep, okay. But I think we also need to be careful not to always give in to them, not to always kind of give them what they want in that space because that's part of the social development at school. And it's not necessarily about having six-year-old friends. It's learning to share. It's learning to put someone else's needs before yourself. It's learning to do all of those things. So I think, you know, yes, play board games, play cards, play jigsaw puzzles, you know, look for things like that, play with the, whatever motivates them, if that's Beyblades or Pokemon cards or whatever. But also don't feel like we always have to give in to them and let them have their way. Let them learn that sometimes they're not going to get to play what they want. And I think that's helpful when you or that's easier, excuse me, to do when you've got older siblings. It's not necessarily easy to do when um, your oldest is the kindergarten kid or, or you've got one at home. Um, I think the other thing to say is it's okay for them to learn to be a little bit bored from time to time. It's okay for them to, to engage with boredom. Um, I can think back to some of the most creative things that I have come up, that I had did as a kid, and it came out of a place of boredom. So it's okay for kids to be bored. And in fact, we have just started this term, a, a rule in our house that if one of our kids says that they're bored, then they have to go and take a chore out of a little jar that we've made into that chore. Now, now oh, I love saying, it. Now, we're not saying that they're not going to be bored. What we're saying to them is 
that if you're bored, find something for you for you to do. Go and do something that you want to do, whether that be reading a book, whether that be playing a game, whether that be drawing, writing. There's there's a whole host of things that you have at your disposal in the house that you can engage with. So if you say you're bored, then we're going to get you to do something to take away that boredom and it's going to be a chore. And so that's just helping kids not because we live in this society and the internet and, and the, the way things have moved in the last 20 years, we live in an instant society where everyone, particularly kids who are growing up and they expect everything instantly, expect it now. And when they don't get it, they don't know how to handle it. And I think it's a really good lesson for them to go, well, I want to go back to school now. I can't. So what can I do? And so they learn to be creative. They learn to, to grow and develop. So so think about you know how you can use the resources around the house to do things, but also don't be frightened of them being bored. Uh, that is, my son must say he's bored every five minutes. So mm. that that's great to know. I'm going to use that one. When you mentioned, um, you know, sometimes we put on the screens and it's a necessary evil in in some respects and and it might not even be evil Mm. if you can use it constructively Mm. but do you have any tips on how we should be thinking about screen time during this period because it is extremely hard um, when you're in each other's pockets 24 7 not to be using screens more because before, you know, you could go out to the park, you could yep. go to an activity, you could go visit friends. Now those options are much less. What is your view on screens during this period? Look, I think, I think there's probably three things that I would say about screens. Firstly, there's the need in some places to be using screens to engage with schooling, particularly if there's older kids. We're seeing remote lessons being delivered in real time using screens and various other things happening from a school perspective um, if you have older children. So I would say that that, that that is screen time. That is what we would consider to be face-to-face screen time. But I would separate that out from what I would then call active and passive screen time. So active screen time for me is, is where they are completely engrossed in the screen. So um, potentially watching a movie can be active screen time. Um, playing an online game or playing a game on the computer can be active screen time. But there's other ways to use screens that are non-active. So things like my my kindergarten daughter has just found a passion for drawing and drawing Pokemon characters. Her older brothers love Pokemon and her way to kind of engage with them is to draw Pokemon characters. Now she will watch YouTube videos on how to draw and how to draw Pokemon characters. Now, for me, that's not active screen time. That's her using the screen to help her do something else. And so we we try and distinguish the difference between active and non-active screen time. And the whole idea of non-active being they're still engaged with themselves and the world around them and what's going on. They're not in the world of the screen. So I think, you know, we we all have this idealism about how much screen time is is good, how much is too much, and so on. I think there's a need to know your young person. So, for example, my oldest son, if we don't regulate his screen time, he will be on screen all day, every day. Whereas my middle son will self-regulate his screen time because it doesn't engage him the way it engages our oldest. So really, I think it's about knowing your young person, knowing whether they get lost and captivated in screens or whether they can use it, and then coming up and formulating a plan according to that. Managing screen time is a really challenging one. I think you know your children best. 
put in place a plan. And, and I think as well, one of the things that we have done is when they get their screen time, they set a, a timer in the house. And when the timer goes off, they know that they come off the screen, regardless of where they're at in the game, regardless of what's going on, not five minutes more, not ten minutes more, because that, that helps us all to regulate. So that whole idea of how do you get them off screens when they're at the end of it. And so I think really trying to differentiate those key categories is really important, particularly for kids who have parents working from home and they see their parent on the screen eight mm. hours a day. You know, I work from home and, and I sit in front of a screen all day, every day. And yet I'm telling my kids that they can have one hour or two hours or however long on their screens. So having a conversation with them about those three different types really has helped in our house for them to kind of understand the different roles that technology and screens have. And I think to your point earlier, we're, we're homeschooling, but we're not. You know, I, th- I think about homeschooling. A, as you said, people choose to homeschool. But B, when you homeschool, you can go to the library, you can go to the museum, you can go and catch up with other families that homeschool in the park and, and have some social interaction. We're not afforded any of those luxuries at the moment. We can't go and meet our friends in the park and, and have a play. We can't go to the local museum or or really for a, a kind of exploratory walk on the beach. You can't do those things. So it's, it's not homeschooling. And the other thing I would say in that regard is that often when, when you homeschool, if you've got multiple kids at home, you often will will cover very similar work at the same time. But we're not doing that as parents who are getting work from school. You know, we're getting this requirement for this child and this requirement for this child and this requirement for this child. So we're trying to juggle three, well, we are as a family trying to juggle three different things. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's really important to be kind to yourself. And that, that sounds obvious, but it's really true. Be kind to yourself, be kind to your kids. Tomorrow's another day. If today wasn't good, tomorrow's another day. And, <laughs> and just adopt that attitude because at the end of the day, we are going to go back to school. We are going to get the professionals who are the teachers to help us get our kids up to speed if there's things that are gapped. And there are going to be ways that teachers will help and schools will put things in place. But the well-being of ourselves and the, the mental well-being of our young people is really important. So be kind to yourself. Be kind to your kids. Put in place some structure that works for you as a family and navigate this on a day-to-day basis. Oh, Alan, it it is such a comfort to hear all of that. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. This next term is going to be a lot easier, I think, for it. And, And I really appreciate all your comments. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's Alan Duggan. He's the Global Head of Education for 3P Learning. That's the name behind online programs, Mathletics and Reading Eggs. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.